there's almost like this imposter syndrome of like, I've built this really, really cool thing. Do I deserve to pitch to certain investors? To which I often say, you're building something really cool. Like people wanna hear what you're building about. Everyone comes from such different lived and work experiences that you always have something interesting to say. You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter, for example, that aren't ashamed of like repeating things other people said. Why should you feel ashamed? Just go out there. And when you go out to fundraise, own the room and always be of the mindset when you pitch investors that you're gonna be teaching something something to them today. This is the Top VC Podcast, and I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, based in San Francisco. I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. Vamos Ventures is an early stage venture capital fund focused on Latinx and diverse founders, um, all early stage. So pre-seed to Series A, we're doing between 500K to $2 million checks, um, you know, leading mostly seed rounds and then, you know, a significant part of Series A rounds. But our thesis is very much on that the next tech era is going to be shaped by diverse experience and that this demographic is going to provide great opportunities. You know, the current VC ecosystem, as we all know, is overlooking this diverse talent. And a wonderful way of creating generational wealth is through starting companies. And so that's why Vamos Ventures is here. Um, I'm a principal on the team. I've been with the team for two years. We cover a few different areas. My primary areas are health and wellness and fintech, but the fund does a lot in sustainability and future of work. Boom. Well, could you tell us about one of the most exciting industries sectors that you're considering over the next few years? Absolutely. Health and wellness is key to the fund. And when we think of health and wellness, we think of it in a few different buckets. Um, So the first is chronic conditions. You know, one in two Latinos, and this is true for most black and brown folks, is going to develop diabetes in their lifetime. And so, you know, why is that the case? And how can we create technologies to prevent that stat? Um, And so chronic conditions is a big focus as it relates to diabetes, heart health, also very significant to the types of communities that we take a look at hypertension, um, you know, prevalent, uh, as well as heart disease is the leading cause of death in this country. And so, you know, gamifying that experience and, you know, um, turning that consumer experience on its head so that you want to prevent heart health issues, top of mind. The other thing is affordability and access, given that this fund has more of an impact orientation, it's very much, you know, the healthcare costs in this country are two times any other country. Most, you know, most of the demographics that we take a look at don't have health insurance. Going to the emergency room isn't sustainable. It costs the healthcare system a lot. It costs individuals a lot. And so we're thinking about technologies to help around how can we create either a primary or multi-specialty type model of healthcare where you're not afraid to go to the doctor, right? If you come in with a cold, maybe it's something that, you know, can be fixed in a day or two days with just a very high touch type of experience with the provider. Um, The other thing too is uh, we we do a lot in sort of aging. You know, the Latino population in particular is going to account for a significant portion of the elder care population by 2050. I'm I'm saying about 30% or so, right? And so um, thinking about aging in place and how do we make folks comfortable? How do we even solve sort of this healthcare worker burnout and caregiver burnout in that people are not getting the type of care that they should be getting? That's top of mind for us. And finally, um, I would say mental health. We all think about the mental health problem. We see it within our families, within our friends. There's a crisis out there. Um, in fact, particularly in the Latino and diverse communities, mental health conditions are underdiagnosed by 40%. It's also an interesting cultural thing in that, you know, it's 
it used to be at least that it's not okay to talk about these types of problems. And so we're very much actively looking for companies that are focused more on, you know, the family orientation to this problem, skills building. How do you have open and active communication about this? So it's an exciting time at Vamos Ventures in healthcare. Um, we've invested in a multitude of companies. It's actually one of our biggest buckets at Vamos Ventures in, you know, heart health companies, in um, primary care model for Latinos, Zacalo Health, Migo Health are, are the two companies that are focused on those things. Um, and so we, we want to continue doing this. And again, having that impact orientation is nice because healthcare, I think, is inherently impactful. Absolutely. I, I love you're just like ready to go with those. And I hope that founders who are, who are considering those uh, sectors are, are ready to go and are able to, to respond to you. Because I, I just, I love the thesis and the focus and like, you're, you're, yeah, you said you're a generalist investor, which I know that you, you are in a lot of ways, but still like that focus is, um, is really exciting. And all those make a lot of sense. Um, could you tell us one of the most impactful tactics or strategies that you suggest to founders, um, who are, who are actively raising or beginning to raise or something that you would be looking for? Yeah. You know, I, I, you probably get a lot of storytelling and like, here's what you put in the pitch on the podcast. I'll, I'll go in a little different direction. I have two big points um, and they mostly um, revolve around fundraising. So the first is, you know, I, I often see that a lot of founders, they have a wonderful pitch, they get the deck together and then they get so excited and they're like, I want to just pitch the tier one VCs, like the A16Zs and, you know, um, and all, all the, all the other ones. Um, although that could work and has worked a few different times, I think a better strategy is actually tiering the outreach so that the first pitches that you have are almost like friends and family type of funds or angel investors. Um, and what that means is if you have a friend at a, at a VC fund, um, or again, if you know an angel investor, or maybe a friend and or family member um, has experience right on the other side. And the reason to do that is that you're getting the first few pitches where you could get very crucial, honest, and unfiltered feedback. This way you could take that and incorporate that into your pitch and just make it almost bulletproof, right? The people who are going to give you the most honest feedback and are going to spend the time are people who actually know you and right are warm people. And so, you know, tiering it is to have those first few pitches when you first go out to fundraise being, you know, again, those close folks, almost doing that, that sort of tier one. Tier two is maybe, oh, I'm friendly with them, but, you know, could go either direction. And then tier three are almost your dream funds. And keeping in mind that I know founders want to keep tight processes, right? Fundraising is a full-time job. They want to get back to building. But I think having this more strategic approach to fundraising and pitching, you'll get a lot of great feedback early on that you might not have anticipated, right? When you go to an A16Z right off the bat. The second thing that I will say is, and this is often something that I find with not only myself actually being on the VC side, but with founders of color is, um, and maybe all founders for that matter, there's almost like this imposter syndrome of like, I've built this really, really cool thing. Like, do I deserve to be here? Do I deserve to pitch to certain investors? Um, which in, to which I often say, you know, you're building something really cool. Like people want to hear what you're building about. Everyone comes from such different lived and work experiences that you always have something interesting to say. And so, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter, for example, that aren't ashamed of like repeating things other people said. Why should you feel ashamed? Just go out there. And when you go out to fundraise, own the room and always be of the mindset when you pitch investors that you're going to to be teaching something to them today. And that's mm -hmm. something that's going to be value add, right? Whether they're 
a generalist investor or a healthcare investor, they're going to be learning something from you. And I think if you have that mindset, it almost puts the ball in your court and, you know, the power dynamics change a little bit. Mm, that is really good because as an investor, you have a you have a um, thousand foot view, but you're never going to have the same details as a founder would being in the weeds, talking to customers, blocking and tackling, transferring funds if, to solve a problem. So I, I, I love that. Can we, um, if, if we were to first talk about this tiered approach, I think it's easy yeah, like it's easy to get excited about going for the bigger level names right off the bat. Um, but being able to prepare, what's the timeline from starting, you know, to get that pitch to actually being able to go to that tier three uh, mm-hmm. that you would suggest? Yeah, they say on average, and you know, this this could vary company to company, but like fundraising in general can take anywhere from like six months to eight months. And in this type of environment, you know, potentially more. So I would say to founders, prepare for a long fundraising process, no matter how much momentum you have in your rounds, how many, uh, you know, VCs are, are preempting you. Um, you know, I think from finalizing the materials, let's say the deck, the, the investor CRM, all the data room materials to pitching that you know, uh, tier one VC is probably maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or or two months. You really want to have your materials sort of in progress and almost to a point where you can then go to sort of the the top tier VCs. But, you know, the, the, these people that you're first going to are going to be of the understanding that it's still a work in progress. Right. And that's the opportunity to have them say, Hey, maybe you're missing this in your deck, or maybe you want to move these slides or, um, you know, you're missing this in your data room, you know, customer cohort analysis, or maybe a memo that you're building that will help investors and speed the process along. You know, investors really like when there's maybe a two, three, four page memo of what the company is. So they could leverage that for their own diligence and their own memo making. Um, and then I think once you have about, let's say, four to five conversations in with folks you really trust and you almost feel like it's bulletproof, then I think the momentum starts where you could start speaking to like, you know, the, the larger funds or your wish list of funds. Um, and, you know, it's going to be an iterative process, right? You're not going to have all the answers down. You might be rusty in some parts. That's the beauty of the fundraising process. I think, you know, what I've learned from being on the other side is at the end of the day, energy doesn't lie. Chemistry does not lie. Right. And if you feel that from the first conversation, you're likely going to feel that to the last conversation and then to the relationship post-investment. I love that. Just like making sure you're connecting fundamentally that your, your thesis aligned is, it sounds like with that energy piece, cause you're both focused on the same mission uh, to help the world. I, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, well, I mean, the final question is really diving into a recent startup that you decided to invest in. And I love to talk about uh, if you, if you could start thinking about that, but one, the two things that I love to zoom in on are kind of, you know, what made you excited about the company, but of course, like what were your hesitations mm-hmm. in that? And cause there's, there's always something, I think that's the biggest thing that I've tried to show to founders, like, Hey, lead with the, the, the scary parts of your business or the, the things that the VCs are looking for anyways, everyone knows it exists, but like, let's talk about that right up front, build trust. Cause they, they're going to decide if they're going to underwrite that one way or another, and the easier you can make it, the better. Absolutely. Um, the recent investment is, is Mika Health. It's the heart health company. And um, Jared and Dre are the founders in particular. Um, Jared, you know, Latino entrepreneur, um, raised in a single parent household, Stanford MD, MBA. And so we thought to ourselves, these guys are freaking resilient. Like they have what it takes to go out there and build. Um, very, very impressive. 
spent a lot of time on the healthcare side, consumer product side, just building things. And so, you know, we wanted to take a shot at them. And what Mega Health is doing, the motto is helping people lead long and healthy lives that they all deserve, preventing the next million heart attacks and strokes. And so there's more of this prevention type focus with heart health. And what they're doing is trying to tackle sort of that gamification problem of how do we keep these individuals who maybe not even have heart problems yet, thinking about their family history, thinking about what can happen to their heart, um, and then, you know, hopefully preventing a lot of those different things that happened in their families or that happened to their friends, right? Um, and so a lot of it starts with that consumer engagement. And so what they've been heads down with is figuring out product, testing and iterating, talking to their target consumer, which interestingly enough, I think right now is, you know, a middle-aged woman, maybe young to middle-aged woman. Um, and so trying to develop products around what they're hearing out there in the market. And I love that because just given my I'm mostly a consumer type of investor. Spending time with the customer is the best thing that you could do in the earliest stages, right? It's not being distracted. It's just talking to as many folks as you can and then informing your product build based on that. Um, you know, as to some things that are top of mind too for us, uh, that maybe are friction points as we invested in this company is more of like, you know, they're going consumer first. And so customer acquisition costs and right, all of that stuff. Um, however, I think in healthcare, what you see is there are a lot of successful examples of companies that have gone consumer first, really proved out their worth and their engagement, and then went to you know the B2B side and partnering with insurers and other types of stakeholders. Um, and that works too. So we have a lot of faith in this company. Um, the founding team is just stellar. And I'm really excited when they launch in the new year. So stay tuned, Mega Health. That is so cool. Well, um, so it sounded like they're they're in a preventative nature, which is interesting. There was a company that just um that just shut down called Miter Health. Or excuse me, not Miter Health, just Miter. They have they're not health, excuse me. They're they're a um B2B, like they're a, a Zoom meeting app. And they have interesting reasons on why they shut down. One of them was behavioral pieces, which is really like they're trying to make it was a behavior change that they were trying to have with consumers around meetings. And they were just like, man. It's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so I and I preventing preventative things. My my concern would have been, and I'm sure y'all thought about this, but I just would love to kind of brain, brainstorm on how you thought about it. Like anything around preventative, people, everyone shakes their head to, but then when it comes down to it, they don't want to do it sure. because they don't want to have to change their habits. So I'm curious how you looked at that in the in the yeah. way their product is. It's a wonderful point. I think what we're thinking of is sort of like, and this is how we approach investing. I think a lot of uh, major VCs do of like thinking about a world that doesn't exist yet. And so you are starting to see the inner workings, especially with the younger demographic, right? Of folks being like, wait, you know, cancer runs in my family or, hey, like diabetes runs in my family. Like what are sort of lifestyle changes and or how can I leverage technology and innovation to maybe prevent what you know, I, I would think my fate is, but doesn't necessarily have to be. And so talking about behavioral change, I think that's what you're seeing naturally in the market. Um, you know, Gen Z is very in tune with their health and they like exercising. You know, they like leveraging technology to track their health and to stay on top of their health, right? And I think Mega Health is right in that sweet spot. So mm. that's something that actually excited us versus, you know, was a deterrent because I think that you're seeing this behavioral change naturally. It's not happening fast, right? But that's happening naturally over time. I love that. Yeah. You're saying like, it's obviously behavioral change, but that momentum has already started and they're not going to have to make that momentum. Correct. Correct. They're jumping yeah. into something that's already they, happening. 
Exactly. I think they build momentum around education and awareness, right? Of like, hey, we're here. Um, you know, and that's what they're working on now. Like, here are some testimonials and stories about how we help someone in their heart health journey. Um, and then I think it's sort of a, a natural flow from there. You know, I don't think everyone's going to be leveraging technology or thinking about sort of that preventative angle. Um, but I do think that there's a significant mass forming of folks who actually care about this stuff, myself included. 100%. Well, Ashley, this has been amazing. Thank you for your just art, clear articulation of all these points. You're, I'm just blown away. I'm, I'm sure working with you is like, if, if it's anything like just this conversation, like clean cut, not a lot of ums, not a lot of filler, but yet all the meat, I really appreciate it. And I would hope that other investors, other founders would reach out. So what's the best way to reach out to you? Is it LinkedIn or is it Twitter? Well, I'm always on all of them. So you could reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter's completely fine. I always check my DMs. I'm very active on there. And then, you know, very simply just Ashley at VamosVentures.com. You know, Vamos Ventures isn't just here to fund folks, although that's our primary focus, right? We, we believe that, again, we can create wealth and really big impact through funding these amazing entrepreneurs. But we spend a lot of time too just building the ecosystem, giving feedback, and you know just being generally nice people who can support you on your way. So feel free to reach out on any of those channels, my email included. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top VC Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. Check out my LinkedIn. Always willing to reach out, connect if you have questions, if you want introductions. There's a lot more than just a podcast.